Welcome to PostBurnout.com interviews. My name is Aaron Kavanagh and I'm the website's founder and editor-in-chief. PostBurnout.com is a culture website dedicated to venerating burnt-out artists the world over. Our interviews are mainly recorded to be transcribed, but every now and again we release the audio in a series we call PostBurnout.com interviews. If you enjoy what we do, be sure to subscribe. Last week we released our first ever double feature for the podcast and it seemed to get a lot of positive feedback, so this week we're doing it again. The connective tissue between these two acts is that they both release music on Friday the 13th this year. In the first half, we speak with the Dublin folk singer-songwriter Neve Berry about her music, getting signed to the legendary Cladder Records, performing with acts like Dermot Kennedy and Gay Vagabonds, her roller coaster 2023, and more. In the second half, we speak with the Donegal alternative singer-songwriter George Houston about his latest horror-themed album, Vehicular Suicide, which was released on Friday the 13th. We also discuss the album's criticism of true crime fascination and its influence from campy B-horror films. We talk about the significance of albums in the era of short attention spans and how the 2020 lockdowns ruined George's leaving cert which made him able to concentrate on making music. I also want to note that during George's interview, for some reason my um, my laptop picked up the wrong microphone, so I'm not sure if it's even really noticeable, but um, yeah, there is a bit of a, a sound quality difference um, for the first half of George's interview. Hi Neve, how's it going? Hi, good. Nice to meet you. Yes, you too. How are you? I'm grand. Yourself? Yeah, good. All good. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I just had a few questions. So um, the first thing I, I wanted to ask is obviously uh, 2023 has been like a real kind of roller coaster explosion for you. Uh, uh, of your kind of like years of doing music, um, like how does this one compare to like other years? Because, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it feels very, um, like just looking in, it feels very, uh, I don't know, like everything's just kind of happening at once, but I don't know, maybe for you, is it more gradual or does it have that same feeling too? Um, yes, I would say very gradual. Uh, everything that you see has been in the works for a long time. So um, yeah, I suppose I've been making music for, like I've been writing songs for, a long time since I was a teenager so it's all um I guess this is the first year that I'm actually properly releasing stuff so it does feel different in terms of I'm actually getting some feedback now and uh yeah and I'm kind of doing it on a bigger scale but um but yeah the songs are a few years old so they've been in my life for uh a long time <laughs> Well, yeah. I know your background, you actually come from kind of a musical family. Growing up, was there kind of an expectation that you become a musician or were your family kind of content to just let you do your own thing? Um, yeah, no, I don't think there was any expectation. Um, neither of my parents would put any pressure on me. Um, a lot of my family are like teachers as well. And they're quite academic. So I think, yeah, there's, you know, that that was kind of maybe more of an expectation, but yeah I'm here now so <laughs> so you were uh, so it was very like organically inspired like uh, coming from your family so um would you've had like um would you've been sharing kind of like what your family was listening to or would you've had your own kind of musical trajectory in terms of what you were listening to at that time um yeah I think I'm very influenced by what my family was listening to like we'd have a lot of kind of 60s 70s folk around when I was growing up um and then my brother was a big influence uh, on me. He was like, he's a good bit older. He's nine years older than me. So 
I just thought everything he did was very very cool um so yeah he passed a lot of like 90s grunge bands onto me um and yeah some singer-songwriters like like Jeff Buckley and uh, Fiona Apple are huge for me and that was that comes from him so yes I'm very grateful for them to have good taste in music <laughs> and then when it actually kind of came to uh like what you did like academically were you studying music or was music just kind of a hobby you were doing on the side yeah, so I did study music. Um, I studied it for a year in university, um, but I dropped it because I was doing voice training and I really felt uncomfortable with it because I've always sort of seen my voice as something that's like, uh, I don't know, quite mystical to me in a way. <laughs> like yeah. It's just like a, an organic part of me and I, I never liked the the sound of training it like now that I get older I'm I see the value of like keeping your vocal health and uh, everything like that so maybe I was a bit naive um <laughs> back then and I, I could have stuck with it but um yeah no I did I did study music um but I majored in English literature so uh that's that's kind of my main background and I ended up doing my master's in it as well so yeah which feeds into my songwriting I'm actually quite interested in, in that thing you were talking about where it's like you know um uh kind of putting academic procedures towards um you know very uh I don't know like you're saying that kind of like kind of it seems kind of mythical in a way like just like music in general like um you know kind of like I don't know I, I kind of have a, a similar feeling too where it's like you know I think by um trying to objectively observe music and, and the effects it has on people in, in a kind of you know, detached academic or, you know, um, what do you call it, like analytical kind of way, it does sort of ruin the music a bit. Would you, would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting as well. Like, um, yeah, it's such like music is such an intuitive, um, thing that's, it's so much in the body as well that it's kind of trying to dissect it with your head doesn't always really work um but yeah like for me when I'm writing a song I'm much more intuitive with the music and I'll tend like the lyrics are uh much more something that I will critique um myself and work on and rework uh whereas the music is kind of like it's generally something that's just kind of instant and comes out um so yeah I like to try and get the balance uh with that because I think I think there is a balance like not to overanalyze things and let them flow uh but still you know obviously you want them to be good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah then, then when it kind of came to your the musical director you're on now I mean I, I correct me if I'm wrong I believe it started around 2014 would that be correct um I don't know what happened <laughs> 2014 <laughs> Well, I was told that's, um, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting them mixed up, but I was told you were at uh, a music festival in, in Donegal, is that correct? And then uh, from okay, there. Okay, sorry. Uh, yes, yes. Um, if I'm maybe yeah. correct, you can correct me. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I was just, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm very involved in traditional singing as well, Irish traditional singing. So that's kind of a, um, another part of what I do um outside of songwriting but um yeah so that uh, came about out when I finished college and 
I was, um, yeah, I suppose kind of, I was sort of searching for a bit of a musical scene um, because there was nothing really kind of speaking to me at that time. Um, But then I sort of met a crowd of young traditional singers and it kind of, it blew me away um, that they were into the same sort of old songs as I was. Um, So yeah, I suppose that, uh, has now become known as the folk revival in Dublin. Um, love it or like it as a <laughs> hate it as a as a name. Uh, but yeah, I think there's definitely definitely something in the water going going on in Dublin. And uh, yeah, there's some amazing amazing artists and amazing musicians around. So yeah, one thing I'd, I'd like to pick your brain about a bit is um, I actually recently had a discussion. It's like a a three three and a half hour long podcast I did with uh, a guy called Michael Murphy. He's like a he's a lecturer and um, a music historian, and you know yeah. we we're kind of talking about like when when Ireland actually gained independence from from Britain in the early twentieth century. There was this kind of project to um, uh, bring about uh, sort sort um, bring about kind of like uh, maintaining kind of Irish culture in in the arts and and in the language and stuff. And mm. you know there was an initial fear when uh, kind of. Uh, jazz was coming to Ireland and when other kind of music was coming to Ireland that would sort of dilute Irish musical tradition but if anything I think like what the 20th century and now the 21st century is kind of proven is that it's actually kind of strengthened as much as like you know new musicians come along there's like trad fusion there's like you know uh, trad incorporation in rock and roll in punk rock in rave music and hip-hop that it seems like um, the kind of Irish traditional music, uh, music tradition like doesn't really dissipate and in fact just kind of persists with each new generation that comes along I was wondering, um, in your opinion, what do you think um, not only the, like Irish trad and Irish folk kind of has um, a persistence, but simultaneously it's it's something that kind of seemingly works so well with so many different genres? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think um, yeah, I think like the music and the songs and the themes and the topics that are covered are so strong and solid that I don't think they're ever going to go anywhere. They're very universal. Um, so I think that it lends itself in that way. It's also like, it's, it's very much a living, breathing tradition. So it's, I agree, it, it can only really be strengthened. I think um, there's kind of like, to me, when it's, performed in a session um which is still very alive and well it's kind of in its purest form and there's different etiquette rules and um different things around that that keep it the way like keep the tunes uh pure almost I don't, I, yeah I don't know if the if the word pure is is right in that context but I think like I think that in itself is is strong enough and I don't think it's going anywhere so I think there is definitely room to experiment and I think um with musicians coming up now like a lot of us will have been influenced by loads of things during our teenage years like you know obviously Lancome have talked a lot about punk and um hardcore metal film stories <laughs> even probably um you know, so yeah, I I think there is a lot of room for experimentation, and you know that's how it grows and stays alive. So, um, yeah. 
what I think is quite cool about it is actually you see um, the resonance it has outside of Ireland. Like, you know, because for years it was sort of known that um, there was an audience for it in like the US and, and in England from uh, Irish expats. But then you see it kind of like organically grow from people who um, who aren't in that. Like, I don't know why, but Germany has a big Irish trad scene for some reason. <laughs> they they mm-hmm. live there. Yeah. Um, uh, I know yeah. a friend of your friend of yours, uh, Eve Agabons, um, Phoebe Bridgers, I think, called them like her favorite Irish actor, something like that. Yeah. So I mean, you see this like you know, kind of, um, like not only growth but like like persistence and and you know, you see it kind of resonating with with people of of other cultures and stuff. And I, I do think there is like, I don't know, it, it's not something uh, that's ever going to go away. I don't think, and I think that's quite lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I think there's something very expansive in Irish music and it's it's very inclusive and it kind of it covers like the total range of emotions. Like you'll get airs that will bring you to your knees in tears and you'll get, you know, really uplifting jigs that you'd like want to play at a wedding and dance with people. And like, yeah, I think it's just um, it kind of. Yeah, it's like literally music for everyone and every occasion. So I don't know. I don't know if that's the reason why it's so popular everywhere else. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to me as well. I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk also, you were uh, recently signed with Cladet Records, who are, you know, famous uh, Irish, like one of the first, I guess, like truly like organic kind of domestic record labels, perhaps, Um well, I think it's inter- they're probably best known for their work with the Chieftains. Um, it's interesting that I believe it's just you and Oxen are, are the recently signed artists. Um, like I think it's like in like two decades or something, the first signed artists um, that they've brought on. Um, I think it's cool that that like Project 2 is expanding, that the Cloud of Records is expanding too. Um, yeah, I was wondering, like, um, how, how did you get involved with that? And um, generally, what's it kind of like to be sort of part of that lineage? Is it vindicating or, it, you know, how does it feel, I guess? Um, yeah, so I got involved. Um, I guess they approached me probably about a year ago. Um, I I recorded an album. Um, and so they were pretty happy that I had that and I could show it to them and they liked it. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really happy to be working with them. It's um it's interesting because obviously they are known as a trad label. Um trad slash folk which however you want to define that (laughs) Uh, but the songs I'm bringing out aren't trad they're my own um so yeah it's it's great like they're they've been really great to work with and I think there's a lot of positivity because as you say it's it is the most iconic um label in Ireland and it's it's great to be working with people who are who are actually on the ground in Dublin um so yeah, no, it's and it's a total honor, like to you know, it's it's such a historical label and it's brought out some amazing music over the years and, like, um, yeah, the founder Garrick De Bruyne was like, like a serious patron of the arts, like not only a a businessman, he was actually, you know, just really loved Irish music and thought that it should be elevated um to the level of of rock and roll and everything else that was more popular uh in the 70s and um so yeah no it's it's a huge honor and yeah I feel I feel very lucky and privileged to be part of it so well you mentioned that you record an album um how do you feel like um 
from that initial recording, I guess, which is, is the recording which got you signed to now, has there been much difference in terms of the music that we're hearing versus that original recording? Um, no, so um, I yeah, the album ha- was totally finished and is still, I'm trickling out the tracks now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, the music didn't change at all since then. Um, <laughs> yeah so when was the uh, actual album recorded then and uh, like what was it um like wh- where was it produced and recorded and such yeah so I recorded it um I I don't know I we haven't like announced oh that's okay album, but I think <laughs> I can like talk about it um I recorded it in I started recording it in 2021 so it's been finished for about a year and a half now um which is is great I think that's that's kind of like the the symptom of the uh the first album it kind of just takes longer (laughs) yeah um but yeah I recorded it uh with um Breen McGlynn from Me Vagabond so he engineered it and produced it with me and mixed it and then I have um some really great musicians on it as well so um we recorded it in Black Mountain Studio in County Louth um which is a really lovely place and yeah we we had a few sessions so there was one in July in July 2021 where it was really hot and felt like Italy felt like another world (laughs) um so yeah it was kind of like half a a lockdown project as well we were still very much like I didn't know whether it was going to go ahead and I was kind of hoping that when we were doing the sessions people wouldn't text me and tell me they had COVID and stuff so um (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's gonna be great to like get it out and uh yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> One thing I was interested with with the songs is that um, you know, having released them as singles, like I, I think there's um what's interesting is there's like a, a very like long form storytelling that you seem to enjoy. And what I like about the song lines, for example, is that they're like upwards of like four to six minutes long and like you know obviously if you were like pushing singles and kind of the era of like um you know making sure to get on the radio like that would just be like no you know um <laughs> but do you think it's like cool to kind of have that I guess kind of creative liberty to to make songs as long as they need to be um and not have to worry about like time restraints for a radio program or, or something like that yeah I mean um basically all of the songs were written before I even thought of releasing them so there was no I wasn't writing anything um with radio in mind or with um you know with the 330 mark in mind yeah um so yeah I think there was a, a lot of freedom in it for sure um you know yeah it's it's funny now because I I play back Beehive and I'm like why is it five and a half minutes? <laughs> <laughs> why does it take me that long to tell the story but um but yeah no I mean lyrics and the story itself of the songs are really important to me so um yeah it's funny because I've been writing recently again now and I don't know if my approach is going to change um but yeah it it is interesting yeah I think I think um as best as possible to keep the audience out of your mind while the writing process is going on is probably the safest bet and then obviously like production and, and recording is another stage so that can um you know you can tighten things up and whatever but uh 
yeah I certainly I didn't intend to write nearly six minute long songs <laughs> <laughs> um I was wondering too like also um kind of being on the label that you're on I mean um I think a lot of like modern uh, labels kind of push for uh sort of TikToks and Instagram reels for things to be as kind of concise as possible I, I don't get that feeling from from glad uh, records to be honest like i don't think like they're probably pushing that on you is that kind of like a freedom too that you kind of enjoy with uh, your label versus um you know maybe other people that are on labels uh... yeah i mean um yeah it's it's a weird world out there like the music industry is is you know it's it's obviously it's always evolving but um yeah, I think, you know, Clada are, they are a, a record label. So like they are aware of like the importance of social media and, um, you know, the little, the little sound bites and everything, but no, they're not putting too much pressure on me. I mean, I, if I had my way, I wouldn't engage with social media at all. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I don't, I don't really mean that. I mean, there are definitely loads of positives to it. Um and it, it can be really fun but I think like yeah when like I I didn't grow up like you know with the internet as a kid so I'm not um yeah it's it's not like my favorite thing to do <laughs> but but it does it's important and it does it does get the music out there so I'm again it's all about the balance yeah <laughs> fair enough um one last thing i'd like to ask is about kind of like some of the sports that you've done you've done you've performed obviously with you vagabonds you've done with uh you performed with derm kennedy and so on um yeah i was wondering like do you find that um kind of like when, when it kind of comes to sorry when it kind of comes to like um performing for uh another artist's audience essentially um there's that kind of like immediate resonance um that you might get like doing a headline show do you find that it's like people are receptive or how, how has that kind of experience been in terms of like being a sport act um yeah I think generally the people I've opened for are um you know the audience would probably like my music but it's it's always hard like if if someone's never heard your songs before um you you're having to win them over so um no, I have I have a lot of respect for anyone who does opening slots and like they are, you know, bread and butter for a lot of people um, and great to get new people hearing your songs. But um, yeah, they can be tough. I haven't been heckled yet, which is good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think generally like folk crowds are just quite nice and lovely anyway. So, um, yeah, it's good. I haven't had any tomatoes thrown at me. <laughs> well when doing like support slots or, or festival slots I mean obviously we were talking about kind of your songs being somewhat long form and um, do you often find it difficult to condense um into like um, the time allotted for a support slot or for a festival slot um no not really no I just I just played two songs and then the half hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one final thing I'd like to ask is um when it kind of comes to we're talking about like uh storytelling in your music um if you were to like kind of create uh, a second album uh do you find that like an overarching uh story throughout would be something that'd be appealing to you kind of like a concept record essentially or um do you prefer kind of like each song being its own uh narrative from start to finish yeah um or i guess i do sort of think of songs as being individual 
worlds in themselves. So I've never really thought of doing a concept album. Um, but there are sort of themes like with this album I've made that themes that kind of whether it kind of just summarizes a part of my life and what I was experiencing. Um, but there is kind of to me, it might not be obvious to other people, but there is kind of a, an overarching theme. Um yeah, and for the next one, I don't know. I feel like there might be more love songs, which I haven't, uh, which the album I, I have recorded isn't really, there's no real love songs on it. So that that would be interesting to me if it went into that territory. <laughs> we'll <Okay>. see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. I think I've asked everything I'd like to ask. Is there anything you'd like to add before I wrap up? Or? Uh, no, that's great. Perfect. Thanks very much for your time. Okay, no worries. Take care. All right, chat to you. Bye. Bye. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, all good. How are you? I'm glad yourself. Hi, good. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, yeah, first thing I, I wanted to ask you simply is how you kind of got into music yourself and, and kind of what made you want to become a musician. Um, I'm not so sure. I, I've always, growing up, or uh, I, I have a brother and a sister and my, our parents always encouraged us to play instruments. Um, we've always been listening to music. It's just always, always been there in the background. And we've been encouraged to like go into that kind of creative space. Um, and growing up, I was very indecisive on what I wanted to be. Um, I kind of wanted to be a lot of things and it was always in the creative field. And I found with music, um that way I could sing, I could write, I could make videos, I could design outfits and it kind of uh, I could do so many different things when it came to music and um yeah, I just was food for the soul. Um uh and around the age of sixteen I started writing songs and I just loved it so much. Never looked back really. Uh, what do you think of like uh, performing live for the first time and, and things like that? Like, how, how did that go initially? Um, what do you mean? Like when you first started uh, actually performing your music uh, to an audience, how, how did that kind of go initially? Oh, um, I don't know. I I think when I'm on stage, it's probably me at my most comfortable. I, I love performing. Mm -hmm. Um. I've always responded well. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose I, I started performing in front of family. That's probably where most people start performing as a child, probably doing uh, fancy dress kind of shows for your parents. And then yeah. uh, you get notions about yourself. And then, I don't know, <laughs> you start doing... Um, school plays and um yeah i don't know i never really thought about how where it came from it just developed very organically um to sing live and do shows and things like that that's a really bad answer <laughs> <laughs> no it's and um, yeah so then the kind of like the current trajectory you're on in terms of the music you're you're making now 
And um, when did that kind of start? Like, when did you start mm. kind of going, like, I'm going to try and do this, like, actually professionally and, and for it to be, um, you know, some, uh, like, start, like, actually releasing music to kind of like a mass audience? Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm part of the, the COVID year of mm. leaving search students. Where, um, I was in the leaving search in 2020. Um, so it shut down, like, halfway between our year and we were told that we're not going to be finishing school and we're not going to be doing the leave and search which was fine I, it wasn't my priority I, I my priority was to go into music but it really turned into a really great opportunity for me to record at home during the lockdowns um, I recorded some singles and yeah I it was kind of always my plan, but I had always been frightened to put my own work out there. But COVID, the lockdowns gave me this really rare opportunity to not have to see anybody that I knew for like five or six months. Um, and it kind of gave me a little boost of confidence to just know that I have space to kind of try something new. And then when I put everything out, people were so lovely and they reacted so kindly to the music that um yeah I just got such a such joy from it and I just kept releasing things and recording the kind of uh, music you're uh, making is, is is very uh eclectic it's very kind of like um it incorporates a lot of like music from pop to to rock and roll to you know kind of just everything mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 very kind of like um experimental and very left of field and um, were people kind of receptive to that um, initially, like uh, from Gecko, or was it kind of something that people had to warm to? Um, I don't know. I think that there's a real market for it because personally, I, I'm i an eclectic person music taste-wise. Like uh, I love folk and rock and psychedelic rock and I like hip-hop sometimes. I like... Um, house funk like I don't know I'm not picky when it comes to the music I listen to and I think just because there's so many people well it's not the people there's so many industry people that are like trying to push and encourage artists to fit into what would be good for a playlist and they want artists to be playlistable they want them to be I suppose pigeonholeable that's not a, a term <laughs> but um <laughs> I want you to fit in this box but that's not how I listen to music and like just by default if it's not how I listen to music of course there's going to be other eclectic music listeners that probably my music is perfect for because it's not so um uptight and <laughs> like it, who cares if I'm kind of bending the walls of the of the genres um I don't anyway. I, I it's kind of why I like it so much. It's just using genre as a tool on top of songwriting and instrumentation to actually get across the theme or the feeling of the song and story that I'm telling. Yeah, and I mean, like you were talking about, like you know how you kind of started uh, after leaving here in 2020, and what's very interesting is that like you, you've definitely, um, you know, um, you've definitely have not like 
stop there's been your output's been very plentiful i mean uh in 2021 you had uh, the cold toast album come out and uh, last year you had the undesired album come out and then this year you have like vehicular uh, suicide vehicular suicide excuse me mm -hmm. um so like you know the output's been like you know kind of constant since um do you just have like so much stuff kind of backlog in terms of musical creation or is this kind of more of an evolving thing and um, gradually Um, I, I don't know. I, I suppose the last 20 years of music in the industry, I think is very, it's so business orientated and it's so money orientated because the people at the top, they, they're just trying to make the biggest profit. Um, so what makes the biggest profit for them is doing singles, singles, singles. They want mm -hmm cheap thrills they want to get that kind of minimum effort maximum reward um get one song on a playlist and live off that for a couple of months repeat 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 so i'm kind of again i'm against the whole idea i miss that whole idea i miss um back when artists were encouraged to put out records and they were encouraged to put out full albums and bodies of work because I don't know what it is. I personally, I just love writing songs and it comes quite naturally to me. Um, and yeah, I, I'd always like to look at myself as an album artist and kind of going back to before the industry, tried to get all of um, the musicians just doing what was most profitable. Uh, I'd rather have some bodies of work and playlists out, like, well, call them playlists, but they're like well albums obviously but they're kind of um what you call it like hand selected playlists by the artists <laughs> because um yeah i suppose that's what an album is do you, enjoy the kind of, <laughs> do you enjoy the resurgence of uh, vinyl in the sense that, you know, it's shown that people, like younger people, still have an interest in actually buying full albums, listening to full albums, but in a way, uh, with vinyl, kind of, um, you're, as you're saying, that kind of uh, dictated curation of music is sort of uh, what you have to listen to. You don't really have the kind of freedom that you might have in streaming or even CDs to kind of just, like, skip around and listen in the order you'd like to. Um, yeah, I, oh, I would love to get a vinyl version of one of my albums. It's definitely on my list of things to do. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a good thing. Like, although it's like, you don't want too much waste in the world. I do mm -hmm. think that currently the population that we have is, has such a, an attention span deficit i don't know what the best term is to describe that but i get what you're saying yeah. if yeah if there's something in music that's getting our generation to sit down put on a vinyl and actually wait to flip over the other side that's like <laughs> an amazing feat considering they're expecting to just click away from a 20 second video every you know and like monotonously um on tiktok and things like that yeah, um, probably does the world of good to kind of get them out of that headspace of just constant, constant, um, I don't know, uh, what's the word, like constant... Simulation. Input, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 
and actually one thing that I think is interesting because um, you're talking about kind of like the, the industry there and um, you know on the one hand like you were kind of mentioning it, like one of the benefits say being on, on a label is um, you know it's easier to get kind of like vinyl produced and, and stuff like that but then the other hand because like you self-released your music so one thing that I think is like cool is that like you know you can come up with an album title like vehicular suicide and like you know not have to worry about like a bunch of people debating like mm, is that like is that okay to say is that okay to use you know it's one of those things where it's like listen like just like the album title it's very striking and you go like i can imagine like um, that if it was on a label kind of being held up by a bunch of you know negotiations and kind of red tape mm. discussions about whether or not that's um that's acceptable or whatever um yeah do you feel that way um uh yeah i guess like, just what i'm saying is like you have I that kind know, of like freedom i guess the, yeah i it's kind of hard for me to gauge that because i've never i've never had to consider asking someone else <laughs> like um I, I i've just always had that freedom when it when it came to putting my own music out i remember the first song i put out i wanted to get that whole thing out of the way of I didn't want people to think I would ever be afraid to put out um, anything the first song I put out was called Boo Fucking Who which mm-hmm. isn't like a, a, a crazy name or anything really but I did want to kind of get that um, just to clear the air and let people know okay I'm not going to be just playing things that are radio friendly all the time because yeah, my priority isn't what's radio playable. It's not what's playlistable. Um, I'm just at my house writing songs, um, <laughs> and I'm not going to filter that, <laughs> which yeah. I think is a good thing, and hopefully it's more refreshing than all of the, I don't know, label-friendly music. But, yeah, I don't know. I've never been able to really compare the freedom I have, I, I guess I'm pretty blessed to not have someone nagging at my shoulder saying, oh, you can't write this album because, um, you know, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the album then. So um, in my opinion, and I'm not just saying this to be polite or to, you know, kind of gas you up or anything, but legitimately I think it like, might be one of the most interesting records I've listened to this year. Um, it's called Vehicular oh, Suicide. Thank you. And, the album kind of has to sort of like the album cover even before you listen to it i think that actually has a good kind of um has kind of hyper um realistic kind of um it almost looks like a dario argento kind of still from like one of his films it has a kind of very hyper realistic kind of color palette of kind of uh, blue and red and um you know the album kind of has um i think a kind of like sort of campy kind of b b movie vibe to it and it's kind of aesthetic and veneer at the same time it's not too like when you actually listen to the songs you're not too dissimilar to to um, what you put out previously it's not like you know it's not like so unfamiliar or anything but at the same time like there is this very mm. clear distinct veneer to it that that established itself as being different from the rest of your releases and um, i thought it was interesting like how how kind of uh, you were kind of like talking about like a lot of them um, and like with the with the title track for example like it seemed to be a very pointed critique of kind of our current obsession with say like true crime and uh and yeah. you know jeffrey dahmer and uh, like the, the Dahmer series that was released on Netflix and stuff and like why is this our, our entertainment like human misery I was wondering if maybe you could talk about the album and kind of the concept behind it 
Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, what, what's the question? Yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk about like the kind of concept behind the, the record. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, hmm. I suppose the concept behind the album, it's kind of about... I wanted the album to be like a horror film, basically. I wanted it to run like a horror film um, and feel like, as you're saying, like a a B... What is it? A B film? A B movie, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a cheesy 70s film that... um, Like, I say cheesy, but <laughs> what I really mean is charming because I love old horror films and I love when you can see the craft of practical effects and things like that. And I wanted to bring that through on the production of, because uh, this is the first album where I actually ever got someone to come in with real drums and play drums and real bass. Usually I was doing synths and loops and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still learning as a producer. Uh, I'm not promising to be like uh, an amazing standard um, like on the first two albums, it's me learning how to do all of these things. And I think, yeah, I, I suppose I'm probably getting better. Uh, I've still lots of room to improve, which I'm willing to do. But um, I think with this album, um, I, I suppose it's gotten more like a, a real band and it's it's going in a, in a direction that I'm really proud of. It's I was inspired kind of by... Um, artists like Fleetwood Mac and The Doors and Kate Bush and kind of uh, artists that aren't afraid to delve into the darker side of things um, and then picking up on the on your question about the theme and uh, the title track is about um, yeah it's about how serial killers are romanticized and idealized um in our society and how it's kind of an ironic case of the victim egging on the murderer <laughs> like it's a well-run motor of vehicular suicide so to say um which i think is it's a bizarre concept but it's very true and it's it exists um and i think it although it's it could be seen as morbid I do think like the whole idea uh, in itself is a little bit funny. Just this, which I wanted to get across in the music video of um, it's like us stabbing ourselves in the back by egging on these serial killers. It's like, Oh, we love you. Keep doing your great job or something. It's just <laughs> bizarre, but hilarious at the same time that it's so accepted in our society. Like with this Jeffrey Dahmer, um, what's it called like netflix series mm -hmm. of course there's going to be young budding serial killers out there that look at that and go oh yeah thanks that's <laughs> gonna be great for my career when i'm older <laughs> so it's just yeah it's a bizarre concept and i and i like going into niche bizarre concepts like that um with the rest of the album it's kind of uh all of the songs there's kind of a morbid theme about them where it goes into the theme of a classic Halloween creature or a horror trope. Um, mm -hmm. 
and they're all about kind of the destruction of the body and soul and how they're related to each other um and they're all within that dark horror realm i like to i i i like i got my driving license this year <laughs> just on another note um <laughs> and i remember listening to the tracks like the demos whilst i was producing the album um and there's a scene in uh film and louise mm -hmm. uh there's a film called film and louise at the end where spoiler yeah. alert they um <laughs> mission and they drive straight off this cliff and it's like their freedom from it yeah. all um and i wanted <laughs> This is going to sound very morbid as well, but I wanted each of the songs to kind of have that really dramatic camp feeling to it, like uh, that you just hit the ignition and you go off the cliff and you're just like vibing. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously in a cinematic, playful way, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not advising people to be driving off cliffs or anything, but I wanted it to have that real cinematic feeling to it of that you're just following the road and you're enjoying the music and you're feeling it and it's melodramatic and silly, but yeah, I don't know. I'm probably describing that in a mad way. No, actually one thing I, I also enjoyed in, in that kind of critique you were talking about is uh, a line here where it says, uh, ready to commit a uh, vehicular suicide, a uh, vehicular suicide. Uh, sorry, read me a story like Bonnie and Clyde. And what's interesting about that line is that like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde were real people, but I think like true are kind of mythologizing you know, people only really know Bonnie and Clyde for that kind of Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway uh, film that was like really popular. And mm -hmm. um, so like in a way, like we're sort of blending the kind of uh, realm of uh, fact and fiction in a way, which actually I think uh, to some degree um, your your music does too, because on, on the one hand, I mean, it seems like the lyrics you're making are kind of uh, fictitious scenarios, but at the same time, they're, they're um, sort of, it feels like anyway to me as a listener, they're kind of influenced by and um, real world events or, or real world uh, scenarios and um, is that fair to say um could you maybe rephrase that sorry yeah no worries so as um when i was going to listen to the music it's like uh, you know they're they're it's kind of like like knowingly over the top in a way in in some of the uh -huh. some of the things you're thinking about but it feels like there's a grain yeah. of like um influence from from reality in there, like yeah, you know when you're talking about like love songs or something oh, yeah. like that. It feels like there's you know that kind of grain. And um, yeah, I was wondering like if you could talk maybe about um you know how much kind of fiction, how much kind of reality you sort of uh put together when it comes to uh, the songwriting on on the album. Um, for me, the the album was an incredibly therapeutic process. Um, it's. I wrote all the songs in the last year. They kind of got me through very difficult times. Um, uh, so on that, on a personal note, all of the songs are very much real and like from real experiences. And I'm really grateful to have the songs to uh, helped me with mental health and um, things like that. Um, and on the more political stance of like songs like vehicular suicide and singing about serial killers um like it is it's from it's real anger that it came from like uh i remember writing the song that kind of just came out of nowhere uh hearing about the jeffrey dammer 
incident, the the new Netflix series, although it is me going over the top and kind of kind of dramatizing it the way that the media has drama dramatized these serial killers. Um, it's coming from a place of real disdain and anger for all of this romanticizing of like just the most disgusting disgusting people like it's it is troubling to think that they've been put on this pedestal of I don't know fame and it's just it does trouble me a lot um and I think I'm one of those people that uses humor uh as a coping mechanism which isn't the worst thing I suppose uh there are worse ways to cope but uh, (laughs) yeah it does come from a, a, a place of real political stance and not being against this kind of idolized serial killer status. Yeah. And actually, um, like with the title track and with also sounds like Red Bull, which is, of course, a Shining reference, um, you know, and, and mm. White Fang, like you see the incorporation of kind of uh, a lot of different types of, of horror, like you see, like, you know, White Fang. Hello? Kind of the, Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, you just broke up there. Sorry. Sorry, can you hear me? Okay. Sorry, yeah. can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catching. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, uh, with like uh, Wi-Fi, for example, you can hear the kind of incorporation of uh, of you know, kind of like um, universal horror films as well as like Hammer horror films and stuff. Um. Yeah. yeah, and 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 the 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 music itself, like when you go into songs like Red Room, I mean, the the imagery is very violent. It's very um, um, over the top. But like the music, Thoreau has this kind of bouncy yeah. vibrancy to it, and it almost seems like a kind of sarcastic take on um, on I don't know, like you're you're sort of like, you know, it's kind of like I don't know. It feels like a very contrasting thing where it's like you know, um, the music is like ha- has very harsh and very like disturbing lyrics but the the, the uh, music is very over top and, and, and funny um yeah i was wondering like if maybe you could talk about like the playful kind of nature i guess of, of incorporating the the um the the lyrics with the music and kind of the, uh, the contrast um between the two yeah um like as much as the true gr- crime and like documentary series bother me i am a huge fan of horror films um i I think they're like in different realms but although i've kind of related them to each other in this album um when it came to writing these songs you know it came from a personal place all of the songs um uh, in my own life but i related them hello sorry george how's it going yeah yeah i can hear you fine now um yeah, so sorry, you were talking just before we disconnected. You were saying, like, as much as you were kind of uh, critiquing um, kind of real um, true crime and, and kind of the, the Dahmer series, you do have a love for um, horror films, which you're trying to express in the, in the music. Yeah. Um, yeah, like songs like White Fang were very heavily inspired by films like Twilight and Nosferatu and... Mm-hmm. I forget what the one is. Um, oh, it's the one with Johnny Depp and uh, I don't know, but young, uh, I forget what it is. But uh, Sleepy Hollow, is it? Anyway, no, 
It's um, Tony. Oh no, Brad Pitt and oh, interview with the vampire. um, yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like these old old horror films. Well, Twilight's not that old, but like old vampire films where people are in love with the the monster that's going to kill them. Kind of relating again to the whole vehicular suicide victim being in love with their uh murderer um and that's how you can feel sometimes in a breakup <laughs> uh which is just me being very melodramatic but i suppose that that's on theme for the album as well um i wanted the the songs to feel like they were horror film tropes and instrumentation wise i really went in heavy on organs and strings kind of orchestral kind of feelings um I wanted to add suspense in different parts with swells of strings like seen in Bleed Me Dry. Um, and again, throughout, I wanted it to feel like there was movement throughout the album, um, kind of like like a driving playlist in a way. I did want it to be something to be listened to whilst driving um, and with like kind of Kate Bushy, Fleetwood Mackey, um, drum beats in the background. And then in other songs like uh, Red Rum, which is, a, as you're saying, a Shining reference. Uh, I wanted to have this real funk housey um, remixed kind of feel, but it's live at the same time, which is like perfect for driving um, to have this crazy funk beat in the background whilst someone's singing about murder. I just think it's a really badass way to <laughs> listen to music. Um, because, yeah, I suppose, although there, as you're saying, it's quite, quite morbid things I'm singing about at times, I do want it to be playful. And I suppose the feeling I want to give people is... Um, I don't know, just the driving feeling. I don't know even how to describe what that feeling is, but that feeling of freedom and being alone on the road and just driving and enjoying music and then be able, being able to, I don't know, pretend that you're in Thelma and Louise. <laughs> <laughs> you were mentioning um, when it came to the production of this album, this was the first time you actually brought in um, outside musicians as well. Um, yeah, I was wondering... Um, hmm. Are you working with session musicians or are you planning on having like a consistent band that would kind of play with you um, uh, live and, and maybe on f uh, future recordings and such? Yeah, um, everything I can't do, um, I bring in new musicians. Um, I play piano and harp and guitar and sing and do backing vocals and do all my own synths and stuff. But uh, I, yeah, I developed... I don't know what I've developed is the right word. I got together a band um, last year and I was very blessed to have Steamy McKay, who is the drummer from uh, Derry's Foreign Oil and Tramp. And he's an incredibly talented drummer and I'm so lucky to have him in my band. Um, so yeah, uh, I kind of said what direction I wanted the songs to go in worked on them together and I was so happy with what he came up with. Um, I think he's an excellent drummer. 
Um, and my bassist that is also in my band, uh, Malcolm Boyd. Uh, again, we just kind of developed the tunes together through practicing, and I was really happy with the outcome. So yeah, it is a, it's a, a constant band that I have. It's not a session musician. That's how it sounds live, which is another hugely rewarding part of this new album. Is like in the last two, I. I was making something on screen and then I brought it to a band and they had to interpret what I was doing. But this time, what, what we, what you're hearing in the album is what you're actually going to hear live. And it's really rewarding to like have it translate better onto stage, which it wasn't doing beforehand. Um, although it, it allows for having really fun, different versions of the other songs that I have. It's quite rewarding uh, to be able to reproduce what is on the album more uh, accurately on stage. You're also mentioning, I guess, one of the final things I'll, I'll talk about is uh, you're mentioning like the the production of the, of the record. I actually didn't know it was self produced. It's uh, I think um, all your records have actually been uh, have very high production standard. I feel. Um, what that was. Um, Thank you. Um, what that was kind of interesting is that like you know when you when you think about because like you were talking a lot with this record about the freedom the kind of um freedom of driving the freedom of um you know of of the music and 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 such um i think also there's a lot of freedom in the production there you know all of your records always have these like really interesting little production flares be it like um you know sound bites or be it like little um additional thing i think like in um it sounded like in 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 the title track there was like a little ding of like a a bake like a bake oven or something, um and then oh, also yeah. <laughs> and then also like on the on the last track uh, Blenderland there's a bit of um it kind of has a, a sort of a carnival kind of vibe to it but there's also like a theremin mm-hmm. I believe in the background at least I I think it's theremin, um so yeah I was wondering yeah. like do you think they're like being your own producer kind of um, adds that sense of freedom where it's like, okay, you get the the bass track and you get like, you know, you get the song, but then like you also have the freedom to then experiment with it even in post-production. And uh, do you, do you feel like, you know, um, would you like to work with external producers at some point, like maybe to get second opinions or anything like that? Are you content self-producing uh, from now on? Um, well, the way I when I'm writing songs, it's it's already got like the music video in my head. I've already got the cinematic feeling in my head. I already know what genre it's going to be in. And then, hello, hey George, um, <laughs> we're just talking about. Can you hear me? Okay. Sorry about that. My internet is terrible. It's all good. Um, yeah, we're just talking about the kind of um the freedom in in the production side of things. Yeah, um, I suppose that's the joy of being self-produced. Um, I I always like to feed into the eclectic side of things and, and just whatever suits the story. Um, I'm not going to try and control a, a song. Each song has its own narrative, knows where it wants to go. Um, I usually have the music video in my head whilst I'm writing uh I know that if it's going to be spooky, I'm going to put organs in it and I'm going to have spooky like building toms and stuff like that. And I just think whatever works for the song and fits the narrative, I'm not going to be cheeky and say, no, you can't do this song because it doesn't fit my genre. So I'll just let the song 
do whatever genre it wants to do. Um, yeah, I suppose I would like to work with a producer in the future, perhaps on some projects, but I'm really quite content learning on the job. I think it's a very fun um, experience. It's all new to me. Well, it's a few years new to me now, but yeah, it's learning on the job and it's very fun. I, I enjoy it a lot. Plus, I, I take the songs home to for my parents to listen to it. I let my friends listen to it. I let the other band members listen to it. It's like, um, what is it? It takes a village to raise a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can call it self-produced. But of course, I, I let other people listen to it. And I like to see what they think of it. I, I'm not like... I'm not closed off to having critical thinking from other people. It's a blessing. Yeah, that's perfect. And I, I do think it's cool how like you're um yeah, you're talking about like how like you envisioned a music video too. Like there's all these kind of like incorporations, a kind of multimedia aspect of it too. And um, when it comes to actually I, I want to ask actually mm. just when it came to um the kind of the production of like the the album art and the um the music videos which i think are both really good and i think both very significant to the overall package of the record beyond just the music and and the production as we we're talking about um i was wondering you. like how you kind of got involved with um who, who you got involved with rather um in terms of um, creating those um yeah i'm like i'm a i suppose i'm a visual artist as well i i paint um I, I like making f films and I I don't know I I do fashion and I don't know I, I've always just been creative uh, in the visual sense as well um, I make my own artwork for for all of the tracks and stuff um, I I was very blessed to work with um, Michael McClinchy on the album cover Um I love working with people who like they just they just get what I'm saying like when we show up on the day I, I say what kind of feeling I'm trying to get across I wanted it to be like I was um in a Japanese horror film and I was looking out the car window frightened at what was in front of me kind <laughs> of um and I I think we got across that kind of melodrama and silliness kind of but also with the clothes I'm wearing and the old vintage car hopefully it gave it that kind of old-timey feel as well yeah. um and with the music videos yeah I think when the story is being written there's just this narrative along with it and um yeah I I always had the music videos in my head and it's always fun working with different um, videographers. Um, with this album, I worked with Niall Murphy. I was very blessed too, because, um, you know, it, I, 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 when I was directing with the band and directing with like my drum and bass player, um, I didn't, I didn't have to worry so much about kind of what, what it was going to be portrayed as because I just knew he had such a good eye um, for things and I could just direct what the story had to be doing, try and make sure we were getting all the right shots. And yeah, I, I just knew that he had a, a good eye for what 
was on camera and I worried about the kind of conceptual aspect of things. Yeah, that's perfect, man. I, I think I've asked everything I have to ask. Is there um, anything you'd like to add before we wrap up or um, maybe talk a bit about like what you have coming up? Um, uh, I suppose I have a big Halloween album launch happening in Derry on the 29th of October and I'll have some CDs out soon for a vehicular suicide um, other than that uh, I'm quite happy <laughs> perfect man it's very nice talking to you man I, I really love the records um, yeah take care man thanks a million Aaron <laughs> no worries George Thank thanks you. very much <laughs> see you later thank you bye take care Thank you for listening to that episode of postburnout.com interviews. We hope you enjoyed and stay tuned for more.